we've been talking about the exchanged life. And I have two words for you this morning. You ready? They're really easy, okay? Now pay attention, Fran. Uh, we'll have you escorted out. That's what, that's what they do in religious, <laughs> religious churches. Can't make any noise, can't laugh. <laughs> All right, two words for you. Stop trying. Everybody say it. <laughs> yes. The essence of the exchange life is rooted in living from a state of wholeness, heightened mindfulness, and being confident in your identity in God's love. When we say exchange life, we're talking about wholeness, mindfulness, and identity. You know, there's a Hebrew word known as shalom. You've heard it, shalom. That's a greeting of peace that the Jewish people use. But if you dig down and you look at the Hebrew roots of that word, it means much more than just peace. It denotes completeness, soundness, and well-being. Nothing broken, nothing missing. Wow, what a place to live out of all right now i'm with you reality is often different than the supernatural world or the faith world or the right but our faith helps us to see the unseen and this morning there's a little bit about that in what i'm going to talk about you see we're not trying to get something we already have it we're not trying to be something. We already are it. I'm talking about the exchanged life. And I'm talking about stop trying. God doesn't have to come near. We're already in perfect union with him. Man, I don't know what that does for you, but man, that helps me to stop trying so hard. Let's talk about the word wholeness for a moment because it's not foreign to Scripture. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 10, for instance. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. There's another translation called the mirror translation that says it this way. We are complete in Him. Jesus mirrors our wholeness and endorses our true identity as I am not I'm going to be I'm not reaching for it I hope to become something I am it right now I'm complete I'm whole I'm not reaching to become I'm not reaching to get I, I, I rest in what I have and who I am the days are over where our lives are dictated under the rule of the law of performance and inferior identity it's not about who I used to be or who I'm striving to become we're celebrating I am and any teaching that leaves you with a sense of a lack of, of lack and imperfection rather than completeness is a distraction from the truth. Here's another verse, James chapter 1. It's found in verse 4. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. See, there it is again. Not lacking anything. 
that mirror translation once more here it is just like a mother hen patiently broods over her eggs steadfastness provides you with a consistent environment and so patience prevails and proves your perfection how entirely whole you are without any shortfall man that's not what I was taught in my earlier years of a faith walk I was taught to reach for it and to apply myself and to pray hard and to be in church and to sing in the choir and to read my Bible. And I mean, there was, you know, certain verses. And I mean, it was difficult to be a Christian. And that's why a lot of people are leaving the Christian faith. And you can't blame them because it's been made one of works. And we heard early on in the whole story how that Jesus came out of God's love and that it's all by grace but somehow we flipped that thing and we've turned the whole New Testament and everything it says into another Torah a New Testament Torah of legalism mindfulness look at this Isaiah chapter 26 verse 3 you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you see that's a declaration you can make God keeps me in perfect peace because I stay my mind on him. I'm not going to allow my mind to think of myself as less than I am. I'm not going to allow my mind to be constantly out there reaching and trying to get, and I'm not satisfied, and I regret, and I, oh my goodness, it gets tiring. Stop trying. <laughs> See, that's, I could stop there today, and I've preached a good sermon right there. Stop trying. Psalm 1, verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Romans 12, verse 2. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, the mind is critical in this whole thing. It's not just about faith and spirit and the supernatural and Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. We need to correct the way we think. Okay, so here's the deal. There are actually two models of the exchange life. Let me give you the first one. In the initial model, often emphasized in Western evangelicalism and common religious writings, see if you identify, the process unfolds like this. You engage in an exchange after encountering biblical moral standards and the call to embrace a specific perspective on Jesus. You present to Jesus what is fractured and morally flawed and at odds with a particular religious framework. Subsequently, you exchange it for an approved manner of living and thinking, one that aligns with biblical morality and a striving to nurture you into being a good person and, oh, by the way, going to heaven. Oh, my gosh, I got tired of reading that. <laughs> Lord. Now, Here's the alternate model found in Scripture and taught by the early church fathers. The exchange of life occurred, past tense, through Jesus during his incarnation when he assumed human form. During this remarkable moment, he bridged the gap between heaven and humanity, affecting the exchange that we work so hard to have. You see, it's really about the already of being. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He did it without asking me. 
He didn't seek my approval. And all humanities included. Here's the mirror translation of that. Our hostility and indifference, this is verse 10 of that chapter, towards God did not reduce his love for us. He saw equal value in us when he exchanged the life of his son for ours. The exchanged life. And the first and more, most important value or thing you can bring to that is to stop trying. God does not love us more now that we are reconciled to Him than He did before. Before you ever found Him, before you went to church, before you read the book, before you listened to the evangelist, before whatever you did to encounter Jesus. And I'm not supposing that you even believe everything the Bible says. I know you have serious doubts and questions about the Bible. You know that doesn't change God's love for you. That doesn't change the fact that what Jesus did, he did for you and for all of humanity. And there's not a thing that I can do to improve that. If I have to do one thing to contribute to being, quote, saved or coming into a relationship with God, then it's by my works instead of his grace. If there's a single thing you have to add to the mix, to the equation, that you have to do, you have to come to the table with, then it's not God's grace. This word reconciliation in the Greek means a mutual exchange of equal value. Turn to somebody and say, man, you're valuable. Go ahead, just tell them. Have you ever noticed whenever the preacher asks you to do that, you turn and everybody else has turned and it's, uh, it never works, <laughs> right? Because, you know, we're all supposed to turn and tell somebody. Oh, it's an odd thing. Yeah. See, I still have some of that religiosity in me. Some of that 40 years of preaching that just... Oh, my goodness, this morning in 9 o'clock service, Lutheran Church, Pastor Wes asked for an Amen. I, th- I, th- I thought it, the fire from heaven was going to break out and we were all going to start dancing and running around the room. <laughs> you see, now watch this. I, I, I'm going to stick it on the screen. Look at this. You were found in Christ before you were lost in Adam. See, we talk about original sin and the fall in the garden and how... Adam's sin came to all humanity and okay and yes and that's the narrative although we need to question the narrative but I don't care because you were found in Christ before you were lost in Adam how do I know that Ephesians chapter 1 Paul wrote this Paul was a follower of Jesus and also an apostle Paul's responsible for writing over half of the books that were gathered together and put in what we call the New Testament. Here's something he said in a book called the Ephesians. He associated us in Christ before the fall, which means to fall away, to put into a lower place, before the fall of the world. Not just the fall of humanity. This, this thing affected the entire universe. What God introduced death and 
questioning God's goodness and questioning God's love for us and that, that whole scenario that came into the garden. You're not enough and so eat this and you will become like God. What a lie. They were already like God. They didn't need to eat anything. They didn't, there wasn't anything they could add to be like God. It was such a lie. But they believed it and it introduced something, a, a fallenness into the whole world, the cosmos and everything. He says, he associated us in Christ before that fall. He took you before that fall, knowing everything about you and who you were going to be and how you were going to live, the mistakes you were going to make, your doubts about the Bible and Jesus and God and the, the whole thing. Before all of that, he took you and associated you in Christ, in his love, in his goodness, despite me Jesus is God's mind made up about us oh man how many of you are still trying to get on God's good side have you ever tried to get on God's good side I mean I'm not sure if that's the left or the right the front or the back but man that's messed up <laughs> you can't get on God's side Jesus is God's mind made up about you man you're perfect you're awesome. You do stupid things. So do I. I do ignorant things. I do things that displease God's perfect love for me. But it doesn't change the fact that I'm hidden in Christ and that I'm one with him. It doesn't affect my belonging to him. It doesn't affect my eternal destination. You see, the implications of the fall are completely canceled. God found us in Christ before he lost us in Adam. Your in Christness is not the result of a lucky draw. Calvinism lied to you. Neither is it the result of your choice to follow Jesus. Because the Bible says, of God's doing, you are in Christ. Look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. Of God's doing are we in Christ. He is both the genesis and the genius of our wisdom. A wisdom that reveals how righteous, sanctified, and redeemed we already are, past tense, in Him. We can't achieve this by personal discipline or personal effort or personal power. And oh, by the way, the word holiness in the Hebrew doesn't mean righteous living, sinless living, striving, trying to be better, trying to be a good person. It means wholeness, a harmony of your spirit, soul, and body with Father, with Father God. The Knox translation says this, it is from Him that we take our origin. Have you ever seen an ugly baby? Like when they first come out, you know, some babies are like ugly. I mean, they're, you know what I mean? My friend's here, and she's saying, Dear, we, we've talked out at the curbside, you know. And I didn't, I didn't realize he was going to be like this. No, but really, so... In God's economy, in God's heart, there's no ugly babies. You're perfect. You're born of Him. You have His DNA. And everything that was wrong, broken, sinful, evil, messed up, Christ took. It was canceled in Him, and He did that before the fall. He did that for you before you were ever born. Pretty good, huh? 
Makes you want to climb right through that camera and come get a burrito, doesn't it? <laughs> well, if you live in Denver, you should, right? Don't just watch us on, on, on live stream. We're grateful for that. And again, Ralph, it's great to have you with us from Switzerland. Send us some ice cream, by the way, and some chocolate. All right. I, I want you to look at this on the screen. It's so very, very important, this next comment. When you encounter a moral guideline in the New Testament, refrain from transforming it into a strict commandment to follow. Instead, start affirming it as an expression and manifestation of the fruit and character within your already redeemed life and your relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit. What am I talking about? Well, how about forgiveness? We're commanded to forgive our enemies. How's that been working for you? <laughs> we talked about something the other day out at the curbside. <laughs> when a car pulls in front of my friend and, she, you know, that rises up in all of us, you know, what we do with that, you know. Forgive your enemies. It, it's such a burdensome commandment. But see it as a beautiful manifestation of the love and the grace within you already in your redeemed life. When you forgive, you're just reflecting the forgiveness that you received from God. See, you stop trying and you just start being his forgiveness. How about love your neighbor? Instead of seeing love your neighbor as yourself as a legalistic rule, view it as a natural outpouring of the love that's already dwelling in you. Your relationship with God enables you to genuinely care for others. Humility, rather than thinking of humble yourself as a demand, recognize it as a reflection of Christ's humility in your life. Humility becomes a way of imitating Jesus in your daily re, uh, interactions. And this is so important. I'm going to wait for you now because I want you to hear this. Tune in right here. And, and, in addition to those couple of things, whenever Paul in his writings he wrote over half the New Testament he's a really important guy gives a moral list of character traits with seeming instruction to stop or don't do that or don't be that it is always given in the context of your former life and not continuing in those things don't turn that into a new Torah The question came, what do I mean by a new Torah? Generally speaking, when we think of the Old Testament and the law that God gave to the people, all the commandments of which there are over 600, thou shalt not, that, and now I know there's the 10, but you understand there's like 600 plus more governing everything, every jot and tittle, what they could eat, how they could dress, where they could live, you know, how large their plots of land could be. I mean, that generally speaking, the law of Moses is the Torah. Christians, New Testament Christians, or Christ followers, believe that they're free from the law. Right? That's part of the New Testament and part of being a Christian. One of the values and one of the beliefs of the New Testament and Paul's writings. God set us free from the law, all those requirements. 
to please God. We don't, we don't have to meet the requirements of the law to please God. Paul contended that we're saved by grace and that we're made righteous out of God's love, not out of obedience to the law. Now, what we've done, though, is we flip that and we take the beautiful grace writings of the New Testament and we turn it into a New Testament Torah. In other words, we take the writings of the New Testament and they just become a longer list of thou shalt not and you have to do this and you have to be that and stop doing this. <laughs> so stop trying. Oh man, if you get nothing out of this, I'm going to email y'all, I'm going to text y'all, I'm going to send it out on Facebook. Big letters. Stop trying. All right, I'm going to ask you in a minute what you hear. So get ready. What would you hear? I want, we're going to give you the mic. I just want you to, you don't have to be incredible. We're not asking you to, you know, speak a whole paragraph or anything. You might have a question, right? But what would you hear this morning? I am on the text, I'm a text recipient, a follower of uh, someone called Beth Moore. Now, some of you recognize that name. She is a internationally acclaimed Bible teacher. And formally, before this year, she belonged to one of the most rigid, legalistic, basically all white male, in terms of their leadership, how it's run, denominations, in all of Western evangelicalism. She carried the banner. And she found herself over time just in her heart and as she would read and study scripture departing from that and saying, I just don't believe this way anymore. And I just don't believe this is the love of God and I just don't believe that this is the way we should treat people. And of course herself being an international Bible teacher, she was not well liked or received by many of her denominational brethren. I'm not even telling you more than that. All right, You look it up. <clears throat> so, this year, she left the organization. I mean, now, <laughs> we're talking this was seismic earthquake type of stuff, her leaving the organization. And she had a huge, huge following. And, of course, many of those people stopped coming to the meetings of that organization and giving to that organization because she left it. I'm giving you all that background because this week I got a text and I want you to listen to her words. Quote, in a culture where we've already canceled one another completely out and done immeasurable harm to innumerable people, the only sane way ahead is to learn in Christ how to treat one another with decency and dignity, even in our deep disagreement, and with the humility that ought be firmly ingrained and fully alive in each individual who's saved by grace, and that's all of you. Reach deeply down for some measure of mutual compassion as fellow humans in a hateful world dying to know Jesus. Amen. <laughs>